welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Alright, well as Tone mentioned, we are going to continue with our Dead Man Walking series. And uh, it's a series that basically looks at the main events that happened to Jesus in the, um, in the last six days of his life. And uh, as we all know, next week is what? Easter. Easter. There you go. Now, I don't know about you, but we're ready for it. We're ready to go. Uh, We've got the eggs happening. We've got the uh, hot cross buns. We've mapped out the uh, Easter egg hunt. And uh, I mean, we've been ready for Easter since last Christmas, (laughs) thanks to my dutiful bargain hunting wife. Uh, We're ready to go like most of you. However, we thought as an eldership team that another really good way to get ready for Easter is to actually look and trace the footsteps of the one who started it all. Jesus. We thought we might just have a look at all that happened to Jesus in the lead up to his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And we hope that as a result of looking at that, all of us develop a greater appreciation and understanding and revelation of all that happened with Jesus. So that's what we're hoping to get out of this series. Who has got a little bit of that out of this series? Who is a little bit more appreciative of what Christ has done and went through because of what they've heard over the last few weeks? Anybody at all? Fantastic. I know I have. And uh, one of the things that we looked at was Christ's triumphant entry into Jerusalem. We also looked at his surrender to the will of the Father. We looked at his questioning by Pontius Pilate and his arrest. And this morning, Pete did a great job in looking at his sentencing, uh, where he was sentenced to death via crucifixion because he claimed to be God. And tonight is my privilege to continue the series, and tonight I'm going to be looking at John's account of Jesus crucified. John's account of Jesus crucified. Now, before I start as a foundation, I just want to say this, that all the Gospels do talk about the crucifixion. Uh, however, they do all mention, highlight, and emphasize different areas. Now, tonight, I'm going to be focusing on John's account. All right? So, if I don't mention your favorite part of the gospel, or your favorite part of the crucifixion story, or if I don't f- explore your favorite theological line uh, of what happened on the cross, that's why. Okay? Because let's face it, Christ on the cross could easily be a six-month series. But tonight, I'm only going to look at what... John described and uh, hopefully try to highlight some things that we can learn and uh, hopefully appropriate into our lives. So we're going to get straight into it and uh, we're going to begin with John's account uh, which starts in chapter 19 and we're going to read the first two verses only. We're going to read um, verses 16 to 18 first. So if you have your Bibles please turn to it. If you don't it'll be up on the screen so you can follow it there. And uh, this is what we read happens. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went to the place of the skull, in which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Now I want to just stop there for a moment, because I just want to give a definition of what crucifixion is, because I know that here tonight, some of you may be very well of it, others may have a bit of an understanding of what a crucifixion is, but just by way of definition, can I just do that, start with that? A definition is, sorry, a crucifixion is an ancient method of deliberately painful execution. 
in which the condemned person is tied or nailed to a large wooden cross and left to hang until dead. So if you were found guilty of a crime, you could be sentenced to death via crucifixion. Now, crucifixion, something else that was interesting about them is that to us, that may seem a little bit strange, a strange way to, uh, to condemn someone to death. I mean, today, our modern-day equivalents uh, may be a needle uh, or electric chair. In some countries, a firing squad still. But back then, they weren't uncommon. Romans were known to actually crucify up to 500 people a day. So they actually weren't uncommon. Sometimes there would be rows and rows of crucified, uh, may I say, victims. Now, these, uh, these crucifixions were painful. And uh, what would happen is the condemned would receive a wooden beam that they'd have to carry to their place of crucifixion. Now, we know that Jesus also carried his beam. Now, just by way of illustration, um, can I have the photo up, please? Anytime? Any moment? There we go. Who remembers this bloke? Most of you guys would. Now, we had a bloke event a couple of weeks ago, uh, and this is a trained athlete who probably goes to the gym seven times a week for 12 hours a day, and uh, he's been doing the right diet all his life. Uh, you can see that he's a very fit man. Now, he lifted uh, a, uh, one, of those, one of those balls. Uh, the lightest one was 95 kilos. Okay? Now, he didn't carry it anywhere. He just managed to lift it and drop it. Now, and some of you blokes as well, you were watching him. I was watching you guys watching him, and I could see what you were thinking. You were thinking, I could do that. I could do that. I can pick that up. It's easy. I can do that. And some of you had a go. You were brave enough to actually have a go. I watched you. And some of you, if you didn't hurt yourselves on the way down, you definitely hurt yourselves trying to pick it up again because none of you were able to, well, maybe there was two of you that were able to lift it off the ground uh, and, then, uh, and then drop it straight away. Now, that's a 95-kilo ball. The uh, beam that Jesus had to carry was almost just over 60 kilos. Not much difference. Now, those things were horrible. Those things were terrible to carry. And Jesus, being a fit, strong man, which he was, and with the help of others, also managed to carry some of his beam with him. Now, these things were designed for torture. These things were designed to cause as much pain as possible. Um, just want to read something that I found out about crucifixions. Uh, the length of time required to reach death could range from hours to days depending on the method and the victim's health. Death could result from any combination of causes, including blood loss or infection due to the wounds caused by the nails or by the scourging that sometimes preceded the, the crucifixion. When the whole body weight was supported by the stretched arms, the typical cause of death was asphyxiation due to the hyperexpansion of the chest muscles and lungs. The condemned would therefore have to draw himself up by his arms leading to exhaustion. When he no longer was able to do so, he would die within a few moments. We're talking about an excruciating, painful, slow, deliberate death. Now, this is a small picture of what crucifixions were. And this is also a small picture of what Jesus endured, what he endured for you and for me. And so tonight, we're going to continue to look at what John tells us about this. And one of the interesting things about John's account is that John is attributed as the uh, disciple that was loved the most by Jesus. And he probably loved Jesus the most as well. Uh, and it's possibly one of the reasons why there's a lot of lack of detail as to the actual gruesomeness of what happened in this account in comparison to the other accounts. It's a little bit like, anyone seen The Passion of the Christ? 
Uh, it's, you know, it's like my wife, when she watches The Passion of the Christ, she just skips the, she just can't look at all the real bloody gory bits, she just sort of, you know, fast forwards or, or, or just looks away. It's a little bit like that, it's what John would have done. He was just looking at the crucifixion and seeing all the horrors that Jesus was going through, and uh, he just thought, I'm just going to highlight the main bits. And he actually only highlights three important things that happen to Jesus in the crucifixion. And one of the things that he highlights, I believe, um, indicates to us a very, very important truth. And it's the first truth that I want to bring with you to, uh, to you tonight, and it's simply this, that Jesus is king of all. We can see in his account that he clearly establishes that Jesus is king of all. Let's continue to read what he says. He says, Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Here, John tells us that Pilate fastened a notice which read, Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. Now, uh, that was common practice. That was one of the reasons why he did it. Uh, back then, if you were found guilty of a crime, your crime would actually be written so that everybody could see what you were guilty of. They did this to inflict further shame on the condemned, but also to deter other people who may be thinking of perpetrating the same crime. So if you're guilty of murder, guess what? You'll be crucified. Murder. Thief. Adulterer. Crow supporter. Or whatever any other hideous crime you may be guilty of. Your crime would be publicly, publicly acknowledged. Like I said, for further shame. Now, Pilate, Pilate wrote down Jesus Christ of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Now, why he did that, we're not exactly sure. There's a little bit of conjecture about it. Uh, he may have done it to inflict further shame on him, maybe to annoy the Jewish leaders uh, that have been putting pressure on him. Uh, but what's important here, what I want you to see is this, that God's hand of providence was at work here. That God actually guided his hand to writing Jesus, King of the Jews. And he did this to announce to the world that that's who Jesus is. King. King of this nation. King of the world. King of the universe. God guided Pilate's hand so that he could announce to the world that Jesus is King of all. Yes, a king that some would reject, but a king that some would accept. A king that some would mock, but a king that some would bend their knee to and acknowledge as king of all kings and lord of all lords. This was God boasting about his son. Now, this is what we can learn from this, that just as God boasted about Jesus Christ crucified, that needs to be our boast as well. We need to boast in Jesus Christ and him crucified. And can I say that that needs to be our only boast, Paul, someone who wrote most of the New Testament, says this. In Galatians 4, 6, 14, he says, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Similarly, we need to be a people that boast 
only on the cross of Jesus Christ. We need to boast on King Jesus, who is sovereign over all creation, that nothing happens without his say-so. King Jesus right now is on his throne, and come on, that is to be our boast, that our King has every nation, every man, every woman, every child, every circumstance, every unborn child, every single thing in his hands. He is sovereign over all creation. King Jesus needs to be our boast. King Jesus needs to be our boast because all that we have, every single good thing that we have, we have because of what happened on the cross. We have nothing good in our lives that is not a result of what happened on the cross and what Jesus endured. That needs to be our boast. Our salvation, we should boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. It's not our idea. We had nothing to do with it. He healed us. He saved us. He redeemed us. It is Him. In Him we boast alone for our salvation. Whatever gift, whatever talent we may have, we don't boast in ourselves. We boast on him and him crucified because it is because of him that we have those gifts. So praise God. Amen. Let's give, give God a clap. Absolutely. If you have a great business, congratulations. But go back to the cross. Revisit the cross, the cross and boast. Revisit the cross. You don't say that. Revisit the cross and say, thank God. It's because of the cross that I have this great, this great business. Acknowledge your grace. Go back and boast. If you have a great marriage, congratulations. God bless you. But I tell you, you need to be a boaster in the cross and go back. It's because of what Jesus has done. It's because of the power, the wisdom, the strength, the grace, all that he's given me. It's because of that. It's because of what, what happened here that I have this, that I have this great marriage, that I have this great business, that I have this great ministry, whatever it may be. Not because of you, don't boast on yourself. Boast on the cross of Jesus Christ. And as Paul says, may that be our only boast, that Jesus Christ, King of all kings, died on the cross for us. I mean, my, my wife and I just want to very humbly say that we often get really good comments about our children. Uh, people are always talking about you. It doesn't matter where we go, whether they meet them for a few seconds or whether it's a school, childcare, or whatever. Okay, we do get really good comments. But this was playing on my wife's mind. She was thinking, "It's great, but I just want to bring God into the picture." And I thought, "This is great because this is what we should do. It doesn't matter what." what compliments we get, we need to always bring God and go back that this is why we, we, we have this. We have this blessing, but this is the reason why. And she did it really wisely. She said, I know what I'll do. I'll say it's because of all the prayer that's gone into it. So whenever she got a compliment from somebody, that's what she would say. Somebody would say to her, you know, your kids, oh man, they're so good. They're so well behaved. Why is that? You know? She didn't get weird. She didn't say, because Jesus Christ died on the cross. You, know? <laughs> you don't start there. I'm encouraging you to do that, but let's not start there. Because of the blood poured by our Savior, that, he's, that, that my son behaved so well in childhood. Now get on your knees and repent, sinner. It's, didn't quite say that. She just simply said, well, thank you, I appreciate that. But it's because, yeah, one of the reasons is because, I tell you what, we pray a lot. And it just gets people's attentions. It's like, wow, you pray? What do you mean you pray? First, I think we're laughing, uh, we're joking, they laugh. But, you know, then, then we tell them, yeah, well, we actually do pray. And then eventually we lead them back to the cross. And we boast on the cross because that needs to be our one and only boast. And it doesn't always have to be public either. Last, I had a really tough week last week for a variety of reasons. Sometimes God just puts the right person in your path. And somebody paid me this huge compliment on Friday. 
And it was just really, really timely, really, really uplifted me. Um, I'll tell you what it was, again, humbly, because it's a joke, it's, it's funny. You don't always have to uh, you know, say it to the person. Uh, but this person came up to me, she said, uh, uh, says, I just want to say something that I work with, said, look, I just want to say that I just think that you are the most passionate and the most humble Christian I've ever made in my life. Now, that's a joke. It, it, it truly is, Okay. And it took everything with him to you know, play bashful or to say, clearly you don't know me that well. I know what I'm like. Uh, but I just bit my tongue and I said, thank you. I really appreciate that. And I did. It really uplifted me. But I tell you what, I got in my office, and this is what I mean by taking it back to the cross. I got before God and I said, I really appreciate that compliment. Jesus, you and I both know how far off the mark she is. Um, <laughs> We know, you know the times that I like passion, and you know the, all the times that I like humility. However, I thank you for that compliment. I give you the glory, and I praise you that you have been glorified through whatever it is that I do in this person's life. Thank you. We take it back to the cross. We boast on the cross of Jesus Christ, King Jesus and Him crucified. Amen? So we see in John's account of the crucifixion that Jesus was mockingly portrayed as king. However, that is exactly what he is, and this needs to become our one and only boast. Now, something else that we see in John's um, account is simply this, that Jesus crucified is also priest of all. Jesus crucified is priest of all. John continues to describe this. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one of each, sorry, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. The garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Now, so what's happening here? Here, John tells us that the soldiers were fulfilling one of over 400 prophecies made about the life of Jesus. They divided his clothes, but left his undergarment untorn. Now, again, this happened for a variety of reasons. Yes, the soldiers were fulfilling prophecy. And yes, it was also actually a Roman custom that the soldiers who were um, killing somebody could keep all their belongings. So that was, that was fine. That's, that's why it happened. However, I also want to once again see God's work at hand here. Because once again, his gracious hand of providence is working. Now, many commentators agree that God intended the, um, the, the, uh, where am I here? Sorry, the, the garment that was untorn to symbolize Jesus' ministry as high priest. His seamless one-piece undergarment represented the clothing of a priest. And the fact that it was untorn was due to Jesus now being established as our new high priest forever. It's amazing. Now, I never looked at it like that. That one piece, uh, seamless, untorn garment, that's what I mean. It represents it was God establishing his priesthood over our lives. And that is the implication for us. That's what we need to learn and take away from this. That when we see Jesus crucified, 
We need to see Jesus priest for all. Remember that he is a priest. Remember that he lives to intercede for us. Remember he lives to intercede forever and ever. That's what a priest does. A priest intercedes and a priest brings you into the presence of God. And that's what we have in Jesus crucified. A priest forever that will take you into the presence of God anytime, any place, anywhere. You don't have to be good enough You don't have to assume some sort of weird position. You don't have to climb some mountain. You don't have to be in some temple. You don't have to dress a certain way. You don't have to do anything at all. You can just, in Jesus' name, enter the presence of the living God. Jesus is priest for all. In in, uh, Hebrews 4.16, we learn that we can now approach the throne of God with confidence to receive whatever we need in our time of need. Because Jesus is priest of all. Now let's remember that. That when we see Jesus Christ crucified, we now have this incredible high priest through which any time of the day or, or night, doesn't matter what you've done right or what you've done wrong, you, can, you now have this privilege of being able to enter into the presence of the living God through this incredible high priest who paid the price for you to be able to do that. Now some of us know that. Some of us know that we, we have this incredible access. But let me ask you a question. How long does it take between that trial, that sufferance, that moment? How long does it take between that and you actually running into the presence of the living God? What's the, the delay between the moment where you're hurt, the moment where you feel betrayed, the moment where you know grace, the moment where you know you need something. How long does it take between that moment and then you saying, oh, I can enter the presence of God. Through Christ, my priest, I can enter the presence of God. How long between the trial and the cross? I tell you, it has to get shorter and shorter. It has, you've got this incredible access. Jesus Christ crucified so that he could establish his priesthood over our lives. An incredible privilege that we have. How long do you hold on to unforgiveness? How long do you try to do it in your own strength? How long do you rely on anything and other people? How long do you rely on your own plans? How long long do you hold on to that? Rather than saying, I can enter the presence of the living God. And as the Bible tells me anytime so that I can receive in my time of need the grace that I need. I think as we grow, I think a sign of maturity, I think a sign of strength, a sign that we're moving on in God is simply that. That that delay, that span of time gets shorter and shorter and shorter. So let's learn from um, John's account here. Let's, let's learn that Jesus Christ has now been established as our priest who can bring us into the presence of God. And let's not delay in seeing him crucified and appropriating the power that we have available to us. Amen? So something else that we see is that Jesus Christ is priest of all. um, And we see this in John's account. And something else that he finishes with is this, that Jesus Christ crucified is also lover of all. Lover of all people. Let's read on to hear what he says. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there 
and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Here John tells us that though bloody, though bruised, and almost to the point of death, Jesus on the cross sees that his mother will be left alone and asks his dearest and nearest friend to look after her. Almost at the point of death and still thinking of other people, still loving other people, still caring for other people. Now, yes, he did that because that was his mother and he was fulfilling his role as a son. And yes, he did it so that he could honor her and make sure that she was taken care of when he died. But there was a bigger statement that God was making here. There was another reason why he did this. He was giving John a mandate. He was giving John something to do in his place. That once he was gone, John had to take the role of Jesus here on earth. Now, this is, this is speaking to us tonight. This is exactly the mandate that we have as well. We have a similar mandate. Those of us who have acknowledged Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he's gone. And now it is up to us to receive the mandate and be Jesus in the world. Just like John is being asked here to be Jesus after he's gone, we are asked to be Jesus as well now that he's gone, to walk as he did, to love as he did, to forgive as he did, to protect as he did, to do as he did, and to indeed lay down our lives as he did. As John received that mandate, we've received that mandate, and that's what we need to see when we see Jesus Christ crucified. We need to see Jesus Christ, the lover of all people, who has ascended into heaven, who has left you and I a mandate to love others as he loved them as well, to protect and look out for others, and to do what he would do, to step into his shoes, to step into his role, we have a huge responsibility. We have to not only represent him here on earth, and I like that word, that's fine, but there's a bigger charge that we have upon us, and that's to actually be him here on earth. That is our challenge. When we see Jesus Christ crucified and we read this really nice account that Jesus loved his mother and took care of her, that's wonderful, but let's also see that as a mandate for us of what we need to do. There was this incredible transaction that took place on the cross between him and John. And there's an incredible transaction that happens between him and us as well, that we need to become what he became. That we need to walk out the mandate and lay down our lives just like he laid down his life for us. I mean, that's one of his biggest messages. In in, in Luke 9.23, he says to us, to take up our cross and follow him daily. Take up our cross and follow him daily. Like I said, that's what this whole series has been about. That all of us die a little bit more unto ourselves and take up our cross daily. Now, some people have wrongfully interpreted that, that, that scripture to mean sufferance, to mean pain, to mean, oh, well, then I must, I must find somewhere to suffer. I must find a little bit of pain because that's my cross. That's not exactly what Jesus meant by that. When he said to take up your cross and follow him, he simply meant die unto yourself on a daily basis. Take up your cross and die unto yourself a little bit each day. A little bit each day, a little bit less of you and a little bit more of him. Die unto yourself daily. And so Jesus, as he hung on the cross... 
and gave his life for us and experienced that incredible torture, that incredible pain, those incredible beatings and all that we know of, when we look at Christ on the cross, I'm just simply trying to ask us to to remember and encourage us to think about the fact that as he laid there, he was king for all people, he was priest of all people, and he was lover of all people, giving us a mandate to do now on earth as he did. However, there is one, one final, I guess, message that I, I want to bring about the cross tonight. Um, and uh, it's, um, it's found in Ephesians 2, 3. It's not up on the, on the screen. But I also, I just want to finish with this tonight before I hand back to Tone. Because we've looked at what happened on the cross. We looked at his sufferings and we looked at what he did for us. But some of you may be wondering, why? Have you ever asked yourselves, why? Why the cross? Why like that? Some of you may have asked that, and you may have a good answer. Some of you may not. But I just thought a really good way to finish tonight would be to simply look at what we've covered and find out exactly why. Why did God himself have to intervene in humanity and endure what he endured on the cross for us. Now, there are many ways to answer this, but I'm just going to give you one way that I would like all of us to think about tonight. And it's found in Ephesians 2 3. I'm just going to read it to you. I'd love you just to listen to it and try and capture it in your hearts tonight. Paul's saying this All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, and here's the crucial part, we were, nat- we were by nature deserving wrath. We were by nature deserving wrath. That's why. That's why Jesus had to die on the cross for us. Because by nature, we deserve the wrath, we deserve the judgment. We deserve the righteous anger and indignation of God for all the things that you and I have done that we know are contrary to his good, perfect and pleasing will. For all the things that we have said, for all the things that we have thought, and for some of us, the things that we have done that we know are not in accordance to God's will. For those things, we are deserving his wrath. We are deserving his anger. Those things needed to be, to be paid for. If you don't believe me, look at the cross. The torture that we just looked at, the pain that Jesus endured, all of that, that's an expression of God's wrath. That's the wrath that we're talking about here. That's the wrath that you and I deserved. That's the wrath that you and I had coming. That's the wrath that you and I both deserved. But that wrath was taken up upon Jesus. And he took it for us. That's why the cross had to happen. If you're in Jesus tonight, if you've accepted him, if you love him, that wrath that you deserved has been taken away from you and fully placed on Jesus on the cross. So you're home free. You're okay. Those of you who are here tonight, who have not made that decision, who are not walking with God, 
I just want to lovingly but strongly warn you that that wrath, that righteous anger, that judgment that you know you deserve is going to fall upon you as it did on Jesus. And the only way to escape that, the only way to avoid that, the only way to flee from that, as the Bible tells us, flee from the wrath of the living God. The only way to do that is to accept what Jesus did on your behalf, to accept the sacrifice, to thank him that he did that so that you wouldn't have to suffer for it. God's anger is upon us if we're outside of Jesus Christ. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. God bless.